You're listening to a special preview episode of Legends Look Back, a Patreon-exclusive Uteni podcast all about Star Wars Legends. If you like this content and want to hear more like it, head over to patreon.com slash Uteni. From a galaxy far, far away. And a bookshelf straight out of the 90s. From Theron to Dantooine, and everything in between. This is Legends Look Back. Freddie, what I was telling Heather right before you came on is that we had to delay the recording of our show by one day. We're recording this on Tuesday. We're going to record on Monday, which worked out perfectly because my library got in this book that I reserved like last week, which is the Splinter of the Mind's Eye graphic novel. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, and so I read it uh, right before we recorded. And we'll talk about that a little bit as we get going in the show, but... Yeah, it was actually like, uh, the force is with us here as we're recording our episode. Uh, Perfect that, timing. That one-day delay actually worked out perfectly for us. There's a full spread there of Luke about to slice and dice a stormtrooper. That's awesome. Absolutely. Well, you know what else is awesome? This episode of Legends Look Back, we are especially excited to get into the original Expanded Universe book. Welcome, everybody. This is our Patreon-exclusive podcast brought to you by Utini.com, where we talk about all things Star Wars Legends. We're celebrating our rich EU history, as well as diving into lesser-known Star Wars classics. Once again, I'm your host, Jared Mays, and I'm joined by my good friend, Freddie C. How's it going, Freddie? It's going pretty well. We're talking about a book that I feel like we... I just can't wait. How about that? <laughs> you know, uh, we've got a commitment to positivity here at Udini. And if we get off the rails during the show, just just go ahead and call us on it and say, positivity, positivity. Um, this this might just be the last episode of Legends Look Back. We'll see if Corey pulls a plug on this or not after today. It's, it's a doozy. Uh, we'll say that much. Today, of course, we're talking about Splinter of the Mind's Eye. And if you're listening to this show, you already know that because... You're one of our incredible patrons, and you probably voted in our poll that we put up on Patreon. We wanted to get into something of the original trilogy era and something that was weird, something a little bit off the beaten path. And Freddie said, what if we go with Splinter of the Mind's Eye, the, <laughs> uh, the original Expanded Universe book? And I said, oh, I don't know, but I'll put it up in the poll. We'll see what people think. And you guys must either love us or hate us because... Uh, <laughs> This is what won. And we are joined, of course, by somebody who's been trying to read this book for weeks and weeks and weeks, if not years, and it's just been years. Hasn't, hasn't quite been able to make it happen. And that is, of course, our good friend, Heather Goldman. How's it going, Heather? Good. I'm so excited to be in my very first episode of Legends Look Back. Um, I guess it had to be this book, though, huh? <laughs> It, it really is this book. Um, you know, we'll, we're excited to get you on at yeah. some point to talk about like your favorite Star Wars book. But, you know, you had you, it's your fault. You posted. <laughs> I've been trying to read this book forever and just haven't quite been able yeah. to make it happen. When and I, I said to keep my mouth shut. I said, we just so happened to need a guest and you haven't been on the show yet. But, uh, Heather, if 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 somebody's not real familiar with uh, the goings on at Utini, give us a quick rundown on uh, what you do for the site. Um, well, I joined Utini just a few months after Utini was originally created, and back then, we were actually a subscription box for Star Wars books, and I was hired on to handle the social media aspect, and I actually still handle Utini's social media, and... If anyone isn't um, following our official pages right now, not for the Living Force, but for the actual Utini pages, then please follow us because I am like revamping how we're posting, and I really it's been hope a lot that of fun. Like it, yeah, yeah. Heather is one of the uh, one of the OGs of Utini. I kind of yeah. feel like I'm talking to a celebrity here because <laughs> I've watched the uh, the old school RPG shows off YouTube. And uh, have enjoyed watching Heather in those, of course. Those and uh, were there, so fun. There's always the ever infamous 2019 Utini Christmas party <laughs> in which Heather was the star of the show. Yeah, Absolute and star. you know what? Um, I don't even really remember being the star of the show. Oh, I remember. <laughs> I'm pretty sure everyone well. but me remembers. Um, uh, for those who are lost, uh, I drink a little too much. But I... 
I've been hoping that um, Corey would release that into the world somehow so I could listen to my own shenanigans. You know, Heather, I, I don't know if it's a good thing that it's kind of been behind closed doors or not. Yeah. Um, you know, you if know. it ever gets out in the world, it'll be up for you to decide. But the, we're really excited thing, to have you. I was going to say, the funny thing about, about that whole thing is I remember I, I was at uh, uh, Rise of Skywalker and I couldn't make the party. I was eating with some friends at IHOP. I immediately, I grabbed my friend's keys. I'm like, I'm going to go talk to my friends. I'll be right back. I go into his car, lock the doors. I hop on and Heather is absolutely lit. <laughs> I'm like, oh goodness, I'm missing out on everything. <laughs> yeah, the, the last thing I remember is um, crying. <laughs> because of the end of Revenge of the Sith or just because that's what was happening? Um. So the last scene I remember was um, Obi-Wan and Anakin's fight on Mustafar and the very end when Obi-Wan says, you were my brother, I loved you, I started crying so bad and then that's when I just like blacked out. I don't remember anything after that. <laughs> It'll get you. It really will. Yeah, 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 it will. Well, we're excited to have you on this episode of Legends Look Back, Heather. And before we get into the, the, the meat of the episode, I do have some really exciting news. In case you guys didn't notice with our last episode, we've got a, a big development with Legends Look Back. I mean, maybe most of you don't care at all, but I care, okay? <laughs> uh, I figured out how to get links in the show notes. So what that means, everybody, is if we're talking about some kind of cover art, which we'll do a little bit with this episode, uh, if we're talking about being able to, to purchase the upcoming book, if we're announcing what we're going to be talking about next, something like that, you can actually right there on your phone, open up your podcast player, pull up our episode that you're hopefully already listening to, and you can just click the link right then and there. You can throw Utini a couple of bucks as you uh, use those affiliate links, or of course, you can uh, be spared that uh, difficult Google search, and you can have that artwork right there in the palm of your hand. You're welcome. Everybody appreciate it. Okay. Yeah, there we go, Heather. Thank you. Freddie's just staring into the distance. Well, guys, this has been a fun episode. I've enjoyed it. Um, thanks for coming on the show, Heather. That's going to wrap it up. Links. Yay! I don't have to actually talk about the book. Uh, no, no, no. Everybody, today we are in for a treat. We are talking about the 1978 classic, Splinter of the Mind's Eye. This was the, as I've mentioned, the first ever expanded universe novel. And, and what I mean by that, of course, is this is the first... Uh, actual adult book that uh, went into new territory. We, of course, had the original novelization for Star Wars that came out before the film, amazingly, in 1976. But uh, following along those lines, the same author, Alan Dean Foster, was given the keys to the kingdom, and he wrote the low-budget sequel for Star Wars that never was. And I think we can all agree it was a good thing, right? Uh, that, that we got The Empire Strikes Back instead of this. I mean, I guess it's debatable. But we are excited to talk about this one. It has been a doozy. Do people still say doozy? Yeah, they still do. Surely not. This book has broken my brain. But if this was the first foray into new territory in the Star Wars universe, can you guess what the second expanded universe novel was? I never second. actually thought about the second. It's weird. It's not Shadows of the Empire, because wasn't that like in the 90s? That was, right, that's yeah. 96, I think. I mean, that, that also has a lot of weirdness. Yeah. Haven't read that one. We'll have to cover it on the show. It's it's uh It's got the old, it's got a 90s weird vibe to it for sure. I know some things about it, but uh, yeah. I've been saving it because I know it's such a, a Legends classic. I'm kind of saving it near the end so that I've still got some fun stuff to get into uh, when it's all said and done. All right. Any other guesses? The second... No cheating, Freddie. I see that Essential Reader's <laughs> Companion. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm just looking at the uh, Splinter in Mind's Eye here, just prepping for the show and whatnot. I'm not looking at anything... Uh... Mm -hmm, likely story. <laughs> That's fine. Do y'all give up, or you got any other guesses? I'd say... I give up. I, 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 I'm going to... I'm going to say go ahead. All right. So it was the Brian Daly Han Solo book. Mm. Um, I'm trying to remember exactly what was the first one. Star's End? Yeah. Han, Han Solo at Star's End. Uh, published in 1979. This came out in 1978. The crazy thing about it, as we talk about some behind-the-scenes info here, is that the original concept for this book was uh, it came up in a discussion between George Lucas and Alan Dean Foster in October of 1976. That's right. They had already started writing this book before Star Wars ever even came out 
in theaters. Isn't that bonkers? That's crazy. I didn't know that. It's crazy. So if you're one of these people who's uh, an absolute nerd about the expanded universe, here's a little bit of fun for you. Star Wars Insider. Let's see what issue this was. Issue number 145 came out in November, December 2013, uh, followed again by issue 146. has a two-part interview, which is actually a transcript of the, uh, the, the conversation that took place between George Lucas himself and Alan Dean Foster, all about the, the behind-the-scenes brainstorming session that resulted in this, you know, this really amazing book. And so there's a lot of crazy stuff in there. They considered killing off Leia in this book. George Lucas was feeling jaded about how difficult it was to shoot Star Wars. And so he says, yeah, you could probably kill her off. We'll have to get Eric on the show to get his George Lucas impression for next time. Anything else fun about this book you guys want to pitch in with? There's some really crazy behind-the-scenes stuff with this book, isn't there? Yeah, I mean, they. I think they. there's like the first, the first EU contradiction to the movies, I believe, is the... Uh... The color of the lightsaber uh, that oh yeah that yeah Vader has and Vader has a blue lightsaber yeah yeah and it's like how did you get that wrong <laughs> pretty sure he always had red <laughs> yeah you know there's some crazy baffling things in this book here's just a few of the tidbits of things that, that happen in Splinter of the Mind's Eye first of all this being a, a, a pitched as a low budget kind of made for TV movie mm-hmm. in case Star Wars wasn't Really successful, but wasn't a total bomb, so there was still a little bit of money left over. Uh, Basically, at this point, George said, let's keep it all on one planet. Let's do it uh, in such a location where it'll be easy to shoot. Keep it all in caves or the forest or uh, in the fog. Mm -hmm. And so we get the planet of Mimban, of course, which then is featured later in Solo, which I thought was a really cool Legends callback. Also, Harrison Ford hadn't signed on for the sequel so there's no han in splinter of the mind's eye which also means no chewy mm-hmm. and uh, i think we can all agree the book really suffers for it yeah yeah, yeah. you can uh you can kind of feel like without the the big three and chewy it's it's kind of uh it's a very weird interesting story maybe we should just get into it after after we go through some interesting facts <laughs> Yeah, yeah, let's do that. Yeah. Uh, of course, you know, this, This, as Freddie mentioned, has a couple of little contradictions. The one that I want to mention before we move on to the summary here is that Leia can't swim. Did you guys pick up on this? <laughs> I did, yeah. But Luke kind of strange, is a competent swimmer. Isn't there a lot swimmer. of water on Alderaan? <laughs> I know, <laughs> yeah. this is what's crazy. Luke, from a desert planet, very competent swimmer. <laughs> Leia, of course, who comes from a wealthy family, probably would have had ample opportunity to uh, learn how to swim. She's she's too scared of the water. There's a lot of stuff like that in this book. But, of course, the amazing, wonderful, crazy thing is that this was adapted by Dark Horse Comics in 1996 into a four-issue graphic novel. I actually think that it might be a better way to consume the story. It's still kind of got that 90s comics art to it, if you know what I mean. Mm, yeah. But you don't have to deal with some of the purple pros, which we'll get into it in a second. Anything else worth mentioning, guys? I think the cover art is beautiful, despite despite everything that happens, you know, in the book. I think the cover art is absolutely beautiful. You know, the best thing you could probably do with this book is look at the cover and put it back on the shelf. <laughs> oh goodness! All right, no, uh, edit that one out, Freddie. Positivity. <laughs> yeah, of course. I was course. worried that um, the scene on the cover was not going to happen in the book because it happened so late. I, you know, when I got so towards late. the end, I was thinking like, "There's only 20 pages left. They're they're really gonna jit me like this." But it it does happen a little bit. Yeah, yeah. It, it's like we finally got into the good part, and then he just flies through it. We'll get on to reviewing the book in and a then second. Falls but... through it. <laughs> and we, yeah, and, and we do need to mention we'll put this in the show notes because we can do that now. We'll put the the link to the book's cover there. It is actual art by Ralph McQuarrie himself, the Essential Readers Companion, something that we frequently plug on this show. Actually, calls it one of the most iconic pieces of art in all of the expanded universe, and I think I agree. Very iconic, gorgeous cover. Uh, really makes the book look mysterious and interesting. And then we get this. So we're going to get into it, guys. Uh, this is going to be spoiler-heavy territory. This is your chance to get out now if you don't want to be spoiled. And if you do, 
Well, here we go. It's about two years after the Battle of Yavin, and we've got Luke, Leia, C-3PO, and R2-D2 en route to... A, and some of these names are going to get me, guys, so I call this uh, Sir Carpus. What do you call it? Uh, Sir Carpus 4? Sir Carpus, yeah. I think that's right. I've, Saying I've... it out loud is way weirder than reading it. <laughs> it's true. I don't even, I don't even want to attempt it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thanks for that, Heather. Just let me do the heavy lifting here. Leia is going to recruit more people to the Rebellion. On their way to this very important meeting, their ships uh, crash land in an energy storm. And I'd like to go ahead and say here, of course, Luke is in his X-Wing. Leia is flying a Y-Wing. We can go ahead and blame this entire book on the fact that Leia was in a Y-Wing. <laughs> Y-Wings are trash. They're the worst ship in all of Star Wars. We can blame it on the Y-Wing. All right. It. So thanks. Thanks for listening, everybody. Okay, there's a lot more to it than that. They find themselves frequently in this book going out of the frying pan into the fire. The Empire, of course, secretly has set up an installation to strip mine the planet because, well, that's really what the Empire does best, isn't it? Their ships are totaled in the crash, and as far as I could understand, they eventually sink into the mud after they're abandoned by Luke and Leia. They trek into town, they, they steal a set of mining clothes, and do what you have to do if you're in a Star Wars story. They go into the cantina to have a drink. From here, they're questioned about the fact that they don't look like they're from around here, and Luke comes up with this genius plan to, to claim that Leia is his servant girl. And he even slaps her to sell the ruse. <laughs> you, you can't make this stuff up, guys. <laughs> he slaps her so hard. <laughs> he straight up slapped her in order to, to make this believable. Uh, it, I don't know if, who it shocked more, Leia or me, and this was my second time reading the book. I had blocked it from my memory. I think he's always wanted to do that. That's where that came from. <laughs> Maybe Alan Dean Foster. Anyway, we won't get he's into like, that. He's like, just my chance. <laughs> Douche. Uh, it does buy them some time, but soon afterward, they're approached by this crazy old woman named Halla. She has an obsession with finding this powerful object called the Kyber Crystal that can enhance a uh, its holder's connection to the Force. Halla herself is marginally Force-sensitive, which really convinces uh, wide-eyed Luke on the idea. So desperate for a new mentor, of course, after the loss of Ben Kenobi, he says, sure, why not? On the way out of the cantina, Leia, uh, not so happy with the slap, confronts Luke for this servant girl routine that he came up with, and they start mud wrestling, <laughs> y'all. <laughs> she shoves him, and then he doesn't want to be shoved, and it's a swamp planet. So it kind of makes sense in that way, but anyway, this, of course, catches the attention of some miners who assault them, which escalates the situation even more as they're taken to jail by some stormtroopers. Uh, there they find an ambitious Imperial officer, Captain Supervisor Grammel. Uh, so he questions them, and after after some digging, you know, he finds out that they're wanted rebel agents. Luke, Leia, and the two drunk and burly, as far as I can understand, Wookiee stand-ins called uh, the Yuzum. Uh, they're, they're, of course, in prison. They've been there for days, but they're still drunk. They're sprung from prison as Halla is outside the window and has to combine her powers with Luke to use his meal tray to press the switch to free them from the prison cell. After they escape, they hijack an Imperial vehicle. They're chased by a giant worm. Luke and Leia then fall down a well and have to make their way through a massive, luminous, underground cave system inhabited by lake spirits and an indigenous species kind of like Ewoks. There, Luke bests their champion in a duel. The party then is broken up by Vader and a posse of stormtroopers who have finally found the crew that they're looking for. These indigenous people, the Koways is what they're called, they, they use surprise to their advantage. They murder, violently, all of the stormtroopers, but Vader escapes to go after the Kyber Crystal. And this is, of course, where we get to the book's climactic set piece we mentioned a minute ago, pictured on the front of the novel in the beautiful Ralph McQuarrie cover art. It's at the Temple of Pomojima, where they are attacked by yet another massive monster. After defeating the monster, the temple begins to crack and crumble, which traps Luke under a pile of rubble just in time for Vader to arrive. He has seemingly killed the two Yuzum outside the temple. But then he sets his sights on killing Luke and Leia. Because Luke is incapacitated, 
Leia, in a burst of feminine rage, takes up Luke's lightsaber and duels Vader. She's out for revenge, of course, for being tortured aboard the Death Star, but Vader eviscerates her, and it's brutal. He leaves her horribly, if not mortally, wounded. At that point, one of the Yuzum, seemingly dead, uses his last ounce of strength to free Luke from the rubble so that he can take up the fight against Vader. There, Luke, of course, is outmatched by Vader, but uses the added strength of the Kyber Crystal, which was right there in the temple, to lop off Vader's arm, which is the most Star Warsy thing in the entire book. Vader, of course, if not this next part, Vader is shocked and accidentally, as far as I can tell, falls into a pit. Because why not? That's <laughs> my favorite part and my least favorite part. <laughs> oh, I know. It's amazing. Luke uh, dies from being exhausted. And then he comes back to life with the power of the kyber crystal, which he then uses to force heal Leia's wounds as well. Sound familiar, guys? Oh, yeah. Uh, the amazing thing, of course, is in that George Lucas interview, he and Alan Dean Foster are going back and forth on some plot points for the novel. And uh, Alan Dean Foster comes up with this idea for uh, Luke to die and come back using the kyber crystal, then to use the kyber crystal to heal Leia. And George Lucas says, I don't know, it sounds a bit much. (laughs) 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 I thought that's amazing. We've got George Lucas on record saying, I don't know about that. (laughs) Uh, Of course. Heather, at this point, this is where we rate on a 1 to 10 scale like we do on Utini.com, using plot, characters, originality, writing, entertainment. And I'm almost scared to ask this, but where would you rate Splinter of the Mind's Eye? Well, I think I'm going to go with a 6.5. Okay. Okay. So on our scale in Utini, I pulled this up earlier today. We actually have uh, titles accompanying each of of the number systems. So I think 6 is okay, if I remember correctly. Does that sound right? Yeah. Yeah. That sounds about right. You want to elaborate on why you would give this that score? Well, um, let's start with why it took me so long to finish this book. (laughs) So the copy that I have right now, I've owned about 10 years ago. I was in high school, which was about 10 years ago. I hate how I just reminded myself about that. Yeah, same for me. And um, like literally throughout the 10 years, every now and then, maybe like once every other year, I would pick up the novel and say like, okay, you know, people have been talking about this book. It's the first EU novel. I I need to read this as a Star Wars fan, right? Right. But I could it feels important. Ever... Yes, exactly. Um, Just considering like everything behind it, where it came from and everything, but I could never get past the second chapter. So being invited onto the show was actually good for me because I had to literally force myself to read this book, right? And at What first, a glowing review. I would never have read this if I didn't have to talk about it on a podcast. Exactly. <laughs> and um, reading this the last time, I think one reason why I had trouble reading it was mostly because of the language. And I think, I don't know if this is just like a product of the 70s. But can I read the first paragraph for you guys? Please. There's there's a lot of purple prose in this book. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> How beautiful was the universe, Luke thought. How beautifully flowing, glorious, and aglow like the robe of a queen. Ice black clean in its emptiness and solitude, so unlike the motley collage of spinning dust motes men call- I don't want to finish that. So- <laughs> that is why i've had a hard time reading this book but now that i've finished it you know i didn't hate it as much as i thought i would and i think it's because i went into this book pretty much thinking of it as like an alternate universe not really to expand on the movies because like you guys said there are so many contradictions in this book there's no way that you could properly place it like within the same story as the films But if you think about the book as like, oh, it could have been like this, then it's actually kind of interesting. And some parts are just hilarious, even though they don't mean to be. But it's entertaining in that way. So I give it an okay, because I don't think it's a complete waste to read this book. Yeah, this is what we could have gotten if we didn't get The Empire Strikes Back. Which thankfully, thankfully we got that. (laughs) (laughs) I guess, I guess, you know... 
I was really digging Halla as a <laughs> character. Anyway, let's see what you think, Freddie. You know, I the first time I read this book a long time ago, and it was during the time, I think it was during the 90s actually when I read it, and I was pretty young, and I just didn't get it. I was like, this doesn't make sense. I don't understand this book. And I, you know, I didn't have the resources to say this is what could have happened. I thought it was just another book with the rest of everything, right? Right. <clears throat> So I was thinking, you know, how, how is this possible? This book makes no sense. It doesn't fall in line with anything. I just don't get it. So I, I, at that time, I, you know, and that, that was probably up until I started learning about more of the history of the book and et cetera. Um, but that was around one. I would say this time, taking in context of when it was written, why it was written, I would say I, I would put it around a five and I say that because there's still a lot of things in the book that are just like, ugh, I, it's so hard to get past. <laughs> and I wrote it right. in one of uh, one of my final thoughts, which was uh, when when they're in the cave, right, and they're fighting, and <laughs> Vader, it says he shook his he shook his threatening fist in Luke's general direction. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> and I was like, oh man. <laughs> Okay. I'm yeah, they, they clearly hadn't quite figured Vader out as a villain. Yeah, but they yeah. were they were on the right track in some ways. Yeah, and you kind of just deflated my theory, Freddie. Which is, I was going to say this book would be perfect for a twelve-year-old, <laughs> but that's yeah. that's not true because the writing style in this is so incredibly obtuse. Yeah. I actually had a quote pulled out, too. Can I play this game? Yeah. yeah page page seven. Luke fought his own instrumentation. It flaunted a farrago of electronic nonsense at him. The madly buckling X-Wing was held in the gr grip of unidentified forces powerful enough to toss it about like a plaything. A chaotic storm vanished behind him as if he'd suddenly emerged from a water spout, but his controls continued to exhibit what were probably... Permanent manifest. I can't even get my mouth around this. <laughs> Permanently. Per oh my gosh! I'm done. All right. <laughs> the the writing style in this, I think, is what what holds it back in large part. Which is why I recommend the graphic novel. Even then, you can tell that that George Lucas and Alan Dean Foster just couldn't quite come to an agreement on what points were were worth exploring in this book and which ones weren't. George had some really cool ideas for this book, which if you really break it down, you can see them and start to understand uh, where this could have gone, or at least where he was coming from and crafting this story. I think in a lot of ways it harkens back to these old, you know, Buck Rogers, Flash Gordon serials, mm -hmm. which is this action-adventure hero. In a lot of ways, it's a, it's an Indiana Jones book with Darth Vader in the end. Mm -hmm. They're just going out of the frying pit, into the fire, mustache-twirly villains, uh, and even then, it still just doesn't quite work. Now, for me, I, I'd probably give this a 4.7. I Ouch. just can't even give it a 5. I know. But I didn't think that the first time I read it. So, I would like to think that I just didn't have as good of an experience with it this time around. I think that knowing some of the background helps. Having yeah. some of this behind-the-scenes information makes it more interesting. Oh, man. The, the characters, the writing style... Let's talk about these characters. Go, go yeah. ahead, Freddie. I was going to say one last thing before we get into the characters. I think one one way you should take this book, if you want to enjoy it for what it is, is just the history of Star Wars and how it got from this point to episode five, right? From from four to five. Just take oh, it yeah. through. I think that's, that's what helped me it. enjoy it. Yeah. yeah. Right. But in a lot of ways, this might be the most documented Legends book with the exception possibly of Heir to the Empire. There is so much behind-the-scenes information you can dig up on this. And, and so maybe even the behind-the-scenes is more interesting than the story itself. I'll leave that up to you, listeners. Let's talk about some of these characters here. Let's start with Luke. This book really shows a very immature Luke. So let me ask you, where would Luke be? Put yourself in Luke's shoes. Are they shoes in Star Wars? Are they space moon boots? Like boots. Anyway. If they are, they're way too big for me. <laughs> where would luke be without receiving more jedi training from master yoda we've actually had a few books you know in recent years that have kind of taken us back to this luke 
in a lot of ways, the 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 Luke of the Legends universe is is the the Return of the Jedi Luke on steroids. Luke is almost infallible. He's the Grandmaster of the Jedi Order. He makes some mistakes along the way, but he is held with reverence. But this Luke is is really really fallible. Um, he's making a lot of rash decisions, mentioning slapping Leia being one of them. <laughs> He wants to be this action hero, but he's not a Jedi, not even remotely. I think Heir to the Jedi, uh, the, one of the first canon books, shows us this kind of a Luke, as well as the, the recent Marvel comic that just wrapped up and they're rebooting. Uh, that has shown us Luke in this era, after A New Hope, before Empire. So um, so where do you think Luke would be if he hadn't gone to Dagobah? He wouldn't be anywhere really i mean in each film you see some sort of progression in his training and in his personality but in this book with nobody to mentor him he's kind of stuck where he's at and he's even kind of um he kind of even went backwards a little bit i don't know if you guys remember the scene when he's uh like pinned underneath the rubble and leia is the one facing darth vader he says leia kill me and then kill yourself like we just can't do this fight and yeah. the luke that we know in the true original stories like he would never just say he wouldn't just give up like that to the point where they would just commit suicide like that yeah that's, that's a, good a good point, point. yeah Ella, that's a good one i think i think it just goes to show how how important yoda's training was to him and yeah we didn't really see too much of it besides you know what we did see in the movies but the growth that he experienced on Dagobah was exponential compared to, you know, anything before that. Before that, he, I mean, he, he was probably just sitting there like, oh, I've got these powers, but how the heck do I use them? I don't know what to do. <laughs> and that's and, and kind what kind of, of training did he even receive from Ben? Yeah, like, I mean, he was handed a lightsaber. He got shot by that ball on the Millennium Falcon. And that's about it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because there's no cutaways from between tattooing and and them taking off right like it, it's basically like a full thing where when they were on Dagobah you know we we don't know everything that happened there but but yeah you're yeah, right that's what seems to be where the training takes place and then the period between Empire and Return of the Jedi there's huge growth in that period but you, know, you just got to put yourself reading this book in the shoes of 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 Luke Skywalker who just saved the galaxy has a big head a lightsaber and no mentor and, of course, accompanying him in this book is Princess Leia herself. Guys, let me ask you, Freddie, let's start with you. How would you begin to describe just how horribly mischaracterized Leia is in this book? Oh, yeah. I mean, I don't I don't get the same vibe that it's her. It, it feels like I'm reading a different character with the same name. That's how I felt. And I'm not sure if it's just she feels like either too much of a princess or is is kind of bratty in some sense i i couldn't really pin it down but when i when i finished reading this again i was just like i, I still had the same feeling like this is definitely not leia and it's it was so obvious to me yeah you know foster keeps calling her the princess yeah. <laughs> air quotes here instead of leia uh he's not thinking about her as a senator he mentions it once or twice uh he of course leaves her on the y-wing waiting for luke in the beginning Instead of the Leia that we know, who, of course, ended up being the one who rescued them from the Death Star. She was not the damsel in distress. Uh, but instead here, she comes up with this idea of, oh, Luke will come and find me. I should stay with the ship. From the beginning, I realized, oh, no, we are in for it here. But what do you think, Heather? What what do you think is the problem with Leia in this book? Well, I'm glad um you pointed out the whole waiting in the Y-Wing thing, because I, I thought the same thing. The Leia that we know wouldn't just sit around and wait. She she wouldn't be able to sit still. She would take action. And I'm really glad that um the true Leia evolved into like how we know her now, like this really strong leader. Because in this book, um, again, it might just be a product of the 70s, but... She was, they really stuck with the whole spoiled princess trope. And like when she got mud yeah. on her clothes, she was complaining. And I thought <laughs> yeah. about like, you know, the, the Leia that I know, she, she wouldn't care about having some mud on her clothes. Like, it was, it was a bit painful to visualize her like that. Um, Freddie, you're right. She just seemed like a completely different person. You know, 
there are some really some interesting things that shine through and i think maybe the best moment in the book is when leia doesn't even think about it when luke is trapped vader walks in she is out to kill there's a previous scene even where they're trapped in the caves and vader shows up with the stormtroopers and leia is just gunning him down she actually hits him in the cape and so it i guess he has a really you know uh, invulnerable cape or something it doesn't even contact his body but how cool heather was was leia's saber use in in this book let's start first with with that that great scene at the end of splinter here you know um maybe that's why they depicted her as the spoiled damsel in distress in the beginning because that um that scene at the end that you mentioned actually really surprised me because it's so much different than what we were just seeing before. And right. I think um, if she really was the Leia that we knew from the beginning up until that point, that scene wouldn't have been as shocking because we would think like, oh yeah, you know, that's just how she rolls. So maybe that's why they did it. Maybe it was just a design choice. I don't know. Yeah, I thought this... So in my opinion, the the real Leia, I guess, the one that I know, you you literally see in the last chapter. It takes till the right. last chapter until you see her, and it and it could be brought on because of fear, but it, I'm not sure why they took so long to bring it out of her. But she was just you. I mean, she was she was shooting at him. You know, imagine her just in the back with a, a blaster rifle, just scoping this guy and just trying to shoot Vader. But then she just gets that lightsaber, goes right after him, and mind you, Vader is a extremely skilled. Uh, duelist right so it, right we kind of know how it's going to end but the fact that she even gets a few parries in and whatnot that's it's pretty fascinating absolutely you know in terms of our um our heroes from a new hope who translate into this book we've got luke we've got leia but then accompanying them are r2d2 and c3po and they're used very sparingly I think that when Foster writes them, he does a really good job. They've got some good back and forth, especially at the beginning and at the very end again. But they are criminally underutilized. Besides that, there's really no other major heroes from uh, the original movie that make their way into this book. Of course, Ben Kenobi's dead. Taking his place in this book is a mysterious old witch on Mimban named Hala. She's she's an old lady. Foster says in behind-the-scenes material that he really loves trying to write older characters, not as caricatures. And I admire that in so many ways. I don't think he achieves it with Hala. <laughs> so, so how would you describe Hala? What's the deal with her, Heather? Um, you know, why is she motivated to find the kyber crystal? You know, well, first I'll say um, I. it's funny that you call her Hala. And it's kind of throwing me off because when I was reading, I imagined the name as like Hala. Hala! <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, I don't think they really made it clear what her motives were other than no. her having some kind of um, force sensitivity. And even then, like, it's not that impressive. Like, when you first right. <laughs> when you first see her in the bar and she's like clearly straining herself just to move like a salt shaker, I don't I can't remember if it was a salt shaker or something. It was something very minuscule, just sitting on the table, and she like barely nudged it to the side, and she's just like panting and sweating. And when Luke was saying like, "Okay, you know, I believe you now," I couldn't tell if they were just joking, like, "Wow, you know, this chick." Uh, kind of doesn't really know what she's talking about or if they actually were impressed by with what she did because in this book it's kind of unclear their knowledge of the force because um right going into this book i thought the force would have a much bigger role in the story i knew the force had something to do with the story but it's hardly been touched on at all in this novel the force is is kind of its own thing in this and even behind the scenes stuff George Lucas is still trying to figure it out. You know, yeah, he's like, still trying to explore what exactly is the Force. And he's like, yeah, I had something in one of the earlier drafts about there being a crystal that could amplify the Force. You can use that if you want. Like, and hardly so any of them have <laughs> used it. 
Like, well, right. when Darth Vader was fighting Luke and um the the lightsaber just you know dropped on the floor, they were all lunging towards it instead of using the force to try to you know take oh, it know. that way. They were just right. like running towards the lightsaber, seeing who could get to it first. And I'm like, what are you doing? Yeah, because I think the first instance that we get of on screen at least of of calling the lightsaber to oneself using the force is Luke in the ice cave uh with the wampa is that right so so there was nothing established in canon that that could even happen i had the exact same thought heather oh, you know for me right. with with hala or or what'd you say hella hala, hala. <laughs> it's getting late guys um at least on the on the east coast here it, you know she what she illustrated to me is how painfully clear it is that it was going to be really hard to follow Alec Guinness's Obi-Wan Kenobi with another mentor, a Jedi mentor for Luke, and which just goes to show how incredible of a character Yoda is. Maybe uh, Alan Dean Foster is a genius for giving us a character who intentionally falls short. If that's what he's trying to go for here. You want to take a crack at at Hala, Freddy? So this is kind of the visual that I have of 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 Hala. (laughs) Going with Hala. She she's kind of I I picture her as as kind of like a creepy Mel Brooks old lady witch or like a Monty (laughs) Python where we're like imagine something's totally. happening yeah. and you're like what how did you get there you know and it's like uh, <laughs> yeah um yeah and and you're right it's it's kind of funny how how she's like look how how i'm a master of it and she like barely moves this the salt shaker for all we know she could have bumped the table um but yeah i i just got this i get i did get a character vibe from her of this like kind of useless but kind of wise at the same time and a little definitely creepy. eccentric yeah. yeah a little creepy a little eccentric um yeah i mean definitely does not have the same vibe as alec Guinness or or yoda right or, or ben kenobi or yoda or any any strong mentor in, in my opinion it almost seemed like in some cases she was just bothering them have you both played knights of the old republic 2 with Kreia? oh yeah 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 so so i was reading this and i thought there's something they could have done that would have worked if they had established Hala just a little bit differently as kind of a, a Kreia character who is like this this old witch mentor who comes alongside and knows about the forest, but you can't quite discern her motives. And then at the end has a huge twist and you find out that she was actually the real villain the whole time. And I was so excited to get there and it never did. <laughs> so once again, headcanon. Something cool they could have done there. But uh, on a positive note, there are a couple of really cool original characters in this book, and that is the the Yuzum. Replacing Chewbacca, kind of a stand-in for the, the big, furry, burly character in this book. We've got uh, the brothers Hen and Ki, the Yuzum. Um, what did you think of the Yuzum as, as sidekicks in these books, Freddy? I actually like them a lot. They were definitely some of my favorite beasts uh, in this in this book. They they're just like these burly, um, saber toothed kind of looking guys. And we can post some pictures, but uh, they're yeah. they were definitely one of my favorites. And the fact that their hangover lasted who knows how long days. Uh, they're they're clearly they're... down in their luck when they're in prison, but then they show up to be heroic after that. You know, you kind of think they're bums, but then they they. They come through in the end. Yeah, and they were actually one of my some of my favorite characters in this book. I liked them. Yeah. What about you, Heather? I could tell that they were trying to replace Chewie, and you know he just can't be replaced. But I did love them. Um, I noticed yeah, that, and the because I really wanted to know what they looked like, so I did a Google image search on them. And apparently in the graphic novel, they do look very similar to Wookiees. And from, which is completely different from what I've read in their description. Because, you know, being in this galaxy with all these planets and all these species, you know Luke and Leia have seen a great number of them. So 
to be as scared as they were when first seeing these creatures, they had to look like something totally out of the ordinary in their world, right? And what I imagined with just hair everywhere and the the trunk, maybe they said snout and I imagined it as a trunk, I'm not sure, but also the arms being longer than their bodies, so like the back of their hands kind of just drag along the floor. What I imagined was a two-legged version of that thing on Sesame Street, the Snuffleupagus. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. All right, guys, thanks for listening. The episode's over. <laughs> so that's how I imagined them the entire time, and I love them all the same. Uh, you know, I pictured uh, in Rogue One, part of Saw Gerrera's, uh, band of partisans, there's this big, white, furry alien um, named, oh, named Moroff. Uh, that's what I pictured all the way through the book, and um, I, I like the way that they were pictured in the graphic novel. I do have one key question, though, with the Yuzum. Why in the world does Luke speak their language? <laughs> that that's is a good, good one. point. It, I, it seems to me that, that Leia, coming from uh, uh, you know wealth and success, you know that she would have had more opportunity for education, could have learned more alien languages. Luke, though, I mean, there's some weird aliens on Tatooine, but he's a farmer. Uh, it would make sense to me if he could speak Jawa, but would he have time to learn Jawa and Yuzum? Anyway, that's I one of these things. I see it as like, um, a missed opportunity to have the droids around, because it would make sense for 3PO to know their language and yes, I don't even you, know. Heather. Yeah, I don't even know why they would be in the story because in the movies, I forgot where I heard this from, but C three C three PO and R two D two are supposed to be like the story keepers. They've been around through everything and right. like they've seen it all. But in this story, they're not even around. Like you, you see yeah. them here and there, but they're not really part of the adventure. I feel like he might have got. It might have been a little overwhelming to try to write that many characters, because um, he. I think he just might have wanted. He might have wanted to just stick with Luke and Leia and and Hala, right? Just doing their thing and maybe some Yuzum here and there. But why did having... there need to be two Yuzum? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a good point, right? <laughs> <laughs> this book is bonkers. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. A good point. Uh, there are two of them. One of them saves the day in the end, but Luke speaks their language. Uh, you know. As, as we're wrapping up the character-focused section of the show, uh, we do need to mention that there is, of course, this Imperial villain who's just kind of, uh, you know, working from his own ambition. Captain Supervisor Grammel, he's just trying to get ahead. He tries to uh, maneuver his way both in terms of interrogation with Luke and Leia, but then also with his Imperial higher-ups uh, to try to maneuver for... A promotion. I don't remember the book saying this, but the graphic novel shows Vader splitting him in half, <laughs> long ways, hot dog style, um, you know, head head to toe, before he throws him off the top of the the Imperial Walker. But then Vader just totally does away with him. So briefly here, you know, how does Captain Supervisor Grammel's own ambition ultimately end up being his undoing, Heather? Grammel. Like, I feel like he could have been interesting, but they really rushed him. Like, I could tell they were trying to go with the whole, like, oh, when you first see him, he's, like, well-established, in control of the whole situation. But almost immediately after that, I want to say, like, even the next chapter, um, he confronts Luke and Leia in the cell, and he just immediately goes to, like... The, the strands of hair coming out, like, who are you? You know, just, like, going insane. And in order for that to be effective, you you need to, like, draw that out of it. But um, the, they don't do that at all in this book. And, I mean, once Vader touches down on the planet, there's just, you know, that that's it with Grammel. He could have it's been over. an interesting character. Absolutely. Yeah. But um, the, they didn't really utilize him that much. You want to add anything, Freddie? Yeah, I think they should have gone the Grand Moff Tarkin approach where he's just really cold and ruthless and bitter, but I think he showed way too much emotion. And uh, yeah, once once Vader touched down, he was just pretty much done after that. There was no more of him. I, I actually really enjoyed Vader doing away with him. Vader in this book, interestingly enough, this is uh, this book 
started in development before James Earl Jones was ever hired. So George Lucas in the early cuts of the movie didn't really feel like Vader was working as a villain. Boy, was he wrong about that. So at this point in this book, you know, Vader's kind of a boogeyman. Uh, he's also kind of foreboding at the same time. He doesn't appear until very late in the book. And, and uh, you know, funnily enough, I've got to mention this, guys, that did you notice the one-liner where Leia, where, where he calls Leia a girl woman? Yeah, so funny. I don't remember that. <laughs> yeah, go back and read chapter 12, uh, the only good chapter in the book. No, I mean, uh, the, the best chapter of the book. And yeah, he Leia faces <laughs> off against him with a lightsaber and he says, do you think you can stop me, girl woman? Oh, my goodness. Uh, Leia damages his breathing apparatus and, and then Luke lops off one of his arms. And then he falls down the pit used for sacrifices. Um, so what did you think of Vader's fate, Freddie? Yeah, it was a little underwhelming. I mean, it's just, you can kind of see it in the book. He, he didn't die. He was probably coming back. Um, the right. best way Star Wars knows how, right? Just going down a pit and coming out Fell with spider legs. Fell down the shaft, right? <laughs> <laughs> spider legs? <laughs> spider legs. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's got the same vibe. So that was very Star Warsy to me. It was like, okay, I've heard this before. And this is obviously the first instance of it. So there it is. <laughs> Definitely. Fell down the shaft. Uh, how many years? Uh, a good, you know, five years before Palpatine did. Uh, Heather, what do you think about uh, Vader and Splinter here? One thing I'm going to point out kind of has to do with Luke's character as well. But um, when Luke chopped off Vader's arm, right arm, and Vader switches his lightsaber wielding to his left hand, I think it's funny when Luke says, like, that's it. He He's invincible. You just can't win against him. And I'm just like, well... Just chop off the other arm. Then what is he going to do? You know, you're like halfway there. Don't give up now. Like, what are you doing? Yeah, he, he lopped off Vader's arm and then immediately despairs. Like, oh, I guess I can't beat him. I was like, you're doing pretty good. Yeah. Like Star Wars 101, point, you know, chop off the limbs and you're good. Okay. I've got some big questions about Splinter here. Okay. Some huge, massive questions. Okay. <laughs> What's more disturbing, Splinter of the Mind's Eye or the Holiday Special? Oh, dude, this is this is actually a very easy one for me. Me too. Yeah, um, Holiday Special is extremely disturbing to me every okay, time. Okay, okay, but in Splinter <laughs> of the Mind's Eye, Luke is obsessed oh. with trying to make something with his relationship with Leia. How have we made it now we're into this episode and haven't talked about this yet? I know, you know, that's funny. That's like one of the first things I feel like we would have talked about. But, you know, kind of, you, you got to imagine, they, they still, at this point, didn't even know, right? They didn't know until right. until the very end, basically. I'm just going to have, I just had to keep reminding myself of that all the way through this book. Luke doesn't know Leia is his sister. Yeah, and they make it, they just make it, Does he makes George it too even know obvious. That yet? I don't think he, what's that? I don't think he does yet. I'm not sure if George knew it yet. I don't think that George, as best I understand, I don't think he settles on that until he's he's writing the screenplay for Return of the Jedi and he's trying to tie up loose ends. Uh, but I could be wrong. You know, there's there's a scene early in the book where Luke is talking about uh, being pressed up against Leia and feeling her body heat. And and I was like, oh, I don't know if I can do this. I might just have to <laughs> lie to, to Heather and Freddie and tell them that I, I reread this. But, <laughs> but it makes uh, me we, wonder I made it through. if... Um... You know, back when people were reading this, when it was first released, before Empire Strikes Back, like, nobody knew that they were siblings, right? It made me wonder, like, how many people were actually into it? Hmm, good point. Shippers, original shippers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, she's clearly going to either be with Luke or Han. And so yeah. this is the alternate universe where Luke is at least trying harder to get the girl. Not that he ever really succeeds in this book. And it's a good thing that he doesn't. I think we can all say. Yeah. It's a good thing that it doesn't progress farther than it does in this book. Uh, so true. Because if it did, that, that would make things a little worse in the reread. <laughs> but yeah, holiday special. That's my vote. Well, you know, as we think about um, some of the things that, that stand out as, as odd and disturbing in this book, there's one thing that, that really, I think... Um, has been adopted through the Star Wars canon from here. This is something that came up in one of George Lucas's early drafts for Star Wars that he then handed off to Foster to use in this book, and that's the concept of the Kyber Crystal. 
So Kyber is spelled differently. It has a different purpose, a, a different use where it can magnify one's ability to use the Force. From there, Kyber crystals take on a really interesting role in the Star Wars canon. As, as best I understand, they were adopted in the Clone Wars animated series. We find the, the lore surrounding Kyber crystals expanded upon in some really powerful and profound ways where, where Kyber crystals do have some kind of a connection to the Force. You've got the whole Padawans finding their Kyber crystals on Ilum arc of, of Clone Wars, which is great. So how do we see the function of Kyber crystals playing in this book? And then let me ask you, how do we see Kyber crystal lore evolve over the years? That's an interesting one. So in this book, it they seem like it, it's almost like catnip to the Jedi, right? Where they just get this interesting vibe off of it and whatnot. And I believe it goes, and, and there's several things. I mean, if you look at, at, at the history of, of legends and, and the clone wars and all this other stuff, it goes from being this thing that's like a force attunement to, to, uh, um, I believe in clone wars, it, it was the, um, lightsaber crystals. And then also it, it was used to, I think it was used as a, a crystal, as like a almost like a power device for holocron to find all the children that are force sensitive right yeah so i know there's several things throughout history of of star wars canon and legends kyber crystal can do whatever is relevant to the plot yeah exactly. <laughs> as far as i'm concerned you know, interestingly <laughs> enough the essential readers companion says that if you really are determined to make this book fit into legends continuity the kyber crystal can be explained in this way that is luke of course uh uses the kyber crystal at the end of the book, but then he takes it. He's got the kyber crystal at the end, and he Pablo Hidalgo says the best way to explain it is that the kyber crystal's effects get weaker the farther it is from Mimban. So Luke still has it, but uh, this entire book was for nothing because it doesn't actually help him in the end. <laughs> uh, which I thought was a convenient explanation. Uh, you know, the, the kyber crystals get an interesting role here. I think it's uh, a great MacGuffin for this book. It's very adventure-esque, taking the, the item from the idol in the temple. Um, you know, kind of Indiana Jonesy in a way that I thought worked pretty well. But, you know, for me, the, the number one takeaway I have from Splinter as we get close to wrapping it up here, guys, is, is this book really highlights for me the importance of The Empire Strikes Back. You know... Just how important is The Empire Strikes Back for expanding on Star Wars in the right ways in comparison with this book? Well, I think with The Empire Strikes Back, thank goodness that we got that right. Um, it added like so much more to like the overall lore, and you could really expand on that. But with this book, um, you know, as a sequel, it didn't really offer much. I couldn't see, like, how this story could um, continue from this book. It kind of just seems like its own, like, little circle. And, I don't know, it, it's it's just hard to explain. The Splinter of the Mind's Eye kind of felt pointless in that it didn't really add to the lore. Like, the whole Kyber Crystal thing, I thought it was a neat concept how it could expand on the Force user's abilities instead of just, like, needing a catalyst to let the power out. But even then, other than the Force healing at the end, like, you don't really get to see that. Like, Luke, he, he was fighting that one guy. He passed out and somehow won the fight, even though, like, he doesn't remember it. And I thought maybe they would explain <laughs> how the Force had something to do with it, but they never they never explain it. And, like, with the force healing, it's even kind of impractical because you need the crystal the size of your head in order to do that. Like, no one's going to be keeping that in their wallet, you know? <laughs> Back pocket. Yeah. Yeah. Giant pocket. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, you know, my take on it is this is not, this is not a sequel book right this is this book should not be a sequel it, and even if they were trying to do a low budget sequel it just doesn't have the giant plot the giant twists it it seems like it kind of goes linear and then it just maybe has a plot and it's the like, last page right or the last the last chapter and it just shows it's not you a that space opera 
it's not an opera it is literally just like an episode right maybe like a 20 minute right. episode um and that's what it feels I think like of it is a, a good made for tv movie yeah and i believe or that's kind it has of... the bones to be a, a good made for yeah. tv movie <laughs> yeah it does and i feel like that's kind of the point that he wanted to go if if this didn't work he was going to go with a live action cheap something that you know just like the serials that he used to watch where they have right. an adventure adventure a day right um and that just goes to show you that that how much content and how much story was in Empire Strikes Back is so significant. It was an absolute journey from the beginning of that movie to the end, right? Right. And then you see and, this and three book. Three things that are... Yeah, and you're just kind of like... No, I was just going to say, you see this book and it's just it doesn't compare. You know, and three things that are crucial to that, uh, to Empire being the success that it is, that are just totally lacking from this, would be the relationship between Han and Leia. Because uh, you don't get Han at all in this, uh, you've also, of course, got uh, Yoda stepping in as the the Jedi mentor to propel Luke forward on his journey, and then Lando. We all need a, a rogue smuggler in our life, and instead we get Hala. <laughs> oh, do we ever get Hala? Uh, so as we wrap it up, y'all, uh, tell me, you know, final thoughts. It's your last chance. Uh, anything you need to get off your chest with Splinter of the Mind's Eye? Because I will not be returning to this one anytime soon. I can tell you that much. Favorite scene, worst scene, uh, whatever you feel like you've got left over, Freddy. Okay, I say um, I read this on Amazon. This this book spans 12 chapters, but it really doesn't get to the main point until the 12th chapter. So, yeah, you know, you could probably read the first chapter and then the last two. And that, that if you want a quick summary, that's all you need. Yeah, you um, get a good taste of it. Yeah, muscle uh, or mud wrestling <laughs> <laughs> and then shaking fists, I think. The, all of those things made it like a, a fun read again because sometimes you take yourself too seriously with a lot of these Legends books or, and, and just, you know, Star Wars books in general. And if you want to just like have a good laugh or just kind of chill out and not think so seriously about it, I think this is definitely something you can read if you really feel like it, but not necessary. Um, yeah, Freddie, I definitely agree with you. If you go into this book not taking it seriously, it is an interesting ride. Um, one part that really sticks to me, um, I don't know if you guys watch Red Letter Media on YouTube, they're movie critics, but they watch these very bad, like, indie films or whatever, and this one guy, every time something crazy happens on screen, he goes like, oh my god, and I almost did that in the scene where Luke and Leia had to break into this hut or whatever to steal those minor clothes, and Luke's just like, Hold on, I got this. And it said that he was messing with the settings on his lightsaber. And I'm like, wait, oh, lightsabers no. have settings? Like, what is he doing? <laughs> he turns it on and it's like the size like of... <laughs> yes, it's like the size of a toothpick. And he uses that like as a lockpick to fiddle with the door and just hatch it open without like having to slice through it. And I don't know. I think that is my favorite part because... You know what would have been funny? What? If he accidentally left it on on that setting when he was fighting later. <laughs> it just turns oh it on. <laughs> there's there's so many things in this book that if you read it with like that little bit twisted perspective, I was just rolling all the way through this. I really was laughing a lot. You know, I, I came to a realization in reading this that, you know, I I really think it's probably one of the worst Star Wars books that's out there and it's not all its fault there's still so much to develop with star wars lore and i know i've given this a low score but it's it's, it's kind of fun it's it's an interesting experiment uh, it's a a fun trip down an alternate timeline kind of like if uh you know you'd gotten into the delorean and then you try to go back in time but biff had taken the uh the almanac and then everything's distorted you know what would it look like if, if han wasn't in the sequel it's this dark future but I did come to this realization. This might be the worst Star Wars book now in 2020. But if you think about it, at one point, this was one of the top two, if not the best Star Wars book ever written. If you go all the way back to 1978, it was just <laughs> this in the novelization. So at that point, it's top five. Top five. <laughs> Yeah, I guess so. It's it got that, that way. going for it. At one, at one point in time, it was at least the second best book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, you're welcome. Uh, Alan Dean Foster, uh, actually from here, went on to write uh, a few more Star Wars books. Interestingly enough, um, Lucasfilm offered him every year for several years in a row after this for him to write another Star Wars book. He kept turning them down. Instead, he's written in a lot of other major franchises. Alan Dean Foster's uh, written titles for Alien, even Transformers. He's written um, uh, adaptations of the J.J. Abrams Star Trek films. Uh, he's written a total of four Star Wars books. He ghost wrote the original Star Wars novelization, as we mentioned. He, of course, wrote Splinter. From then, uh, from that point, he actually took a huge break, came back to Star Wars in the early aughts, and wrote the Attack of the Clones prequel novel, The Approaching Storm. Uh, and his most recent book was the number one New York Times bestseller, the novelization of The Force Awakens. Amazing that Alan Dean Foster went from here to a number one New York Times bestseller in the Star Wars universe. I say good for him. Yeah, yeah. That's good. Good for him. Way to, way to honor his legacy. So that about does it for this week. You know, we want to, of course, plug our collections. Heather has even written some of our collections. And, and with this one, it's kind of a stretch to think about what would be a good curated Utini reading guide for further reading. We don't have a reading guide of totally bonkers books that'll break your brain, but we'll have to start working on that. But we do have reading guides on the characters of Luke, Leia, Darth Vader, and I believe that um, uh, Heather even wrote a romance collection. Was that you, Heather? I did, yeah. Yeah, so if you're all into that Luke and Leia romance, uh, this book is not featured, thankfully, in that And it will not but... be. Keep this book out <laughs> of my collection. Okay, good. Uh, it's a very well-written collection. We've also got a film-centric guide for A New Hope, which would be relevant in this regard if you want some more of, um, you know, what does life look like for Luke right after blowing up the Death Star? We've got some big news, of course, as we wrap up here. Just in time for Valentine's Day, Stacy's going to be joining us in our next episode to discuss another absolutely insane Star Wars book, and that is The Courtship of Princess Leia. What else says Happy Valentine's Day like Four Switches and Rancors? Am I right? Mm, yeah. That does it for this week. Uh, thanks, Heather, for joining us, and uh, thanks for listening to Legends Look Back, everybody. In the meantime, you can follow along with all things Legends Look Back in our Utini Discord channel. I'm on Twitter as Jared Q. Mays. Freddie at Wake Up Freddie and Heather is on Twitter. Uh, Heather G. That's spelled H E Y T H U R G. Also, if you're looking to buy some of these books, you want to help support the show, you can go to Utini, click the Amazon link in the profile, or even click the link in the show notes this week. You can even get The Courtship of Princess Leia for $4.99 on Kindle. What a steal! Another way to help out the show and show your love of Utini is to grab some of our swag from TeePublic. Uh, we also want to plug that if you read this book, please head on over to Utini.com and leave us a review. Let us know what you think. Remember, please uh, keep the Utini fan code, be a force for positivity in the fandom, and more than anything, may the force be with you. This is... Teeny Broadcast.